0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. And uh, finally, one more announcement this morning. We have our membership class next, uh, next Sunday. Next Sunday at 3 p.m., and I think uh, Ruby will share more details about that. But I just want to give a plug for that. There's a lot of people in the room that probably aren't members, and we just believe really strongly at the Vine that you shouldn't have to be a member at this church, but you should be a member at some church, right? We don't believe in like wallflower Christians, like we'll just well, I'll just stay on the sidelines. That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. Now, maybe you're, you're new at the church and you're like, I'm just checking this place out. Totally fine, totally fine. But if you've been a regular attender for six to 12 months or so and you're not a member, we would just want to ask you, why not? Why not? The Bible calls you to get in the game, to not be on the sidelines. There's a lot I could say about that but I won't say this morning. But um, we, we want you to be a member somewhere. We want you to be fully engaged somewhere in the life of the local church. We believe deeply through the authority of God's word that that's what he calls us to. You can't say that you're a Christian, that you love God, but you hate his bride. Now, hate is a strong word. Maybe it's, I love God, but I'm kind of apathetic about his bride. Or I just kind of want to show up and receive, but not give. I want to receive, but not actually get in the game. And so we want to call you to to be a member somewhere doesn't have to be here, but, but to be vitally connected to a local church. And, um, and, and if you, the membership class also is just a great way just to hear about what we're doing, right? Just to get more information, okay? So that's on the sign-up tab on the website. Please sign up. It really helps us to prepare for these things. Uh, sign-up is really helpful for us as leaders. All right, we're going to be looking at First Samuel chapter 18 today. If you have a Bible, open up there. 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 6. 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 6. I've been working in churches, either part-time or full-time, for about 27 years now. And as a result of that, I've had the opportunity to go to a ton of ministry Conferences, ministry conferences. And I see a ton of blessings that have come from all of these conferences that I've attended over the years. But there's also a huge downside. There's also a huge downside. Ministry conferences can be a breeding ground for ministry jealousy, for ministry jealousy. Like, ministry leaders can be some of the most jealous people that I know. Now, why would I dare to say that? Because I see it in my own heart. I see it in my own heart. You go to a conference and you meet all these people from all over, maybe the world sometimes, guys like me that are pastoring other churches, and you have these internal thoughts. Like, their church is running 500 and mine's only running 50. Like, wh- why? Like, what's, what's he got that I don't have? Like, that dude's kind of a weirdo, too. <laughs> like, how come those guys got to speak at the conference? How come I never get asked to speak at those conferences? Like, wh- how did that guy get all the answers? Why why does he get the platform? I'm way better than that guy, honestly. Or not quite as dark, but it could be like, wow, this guy, God, you've given this guy some really amazing gifts, but how come I don't have those gifts? Like this is one of the main ways that jealousy has shown up in my life. And where God's word is going to address that for me. You know, over the years, I've tended to want to just like not even go to some of those conferences anymore. Just because I, I know the inner turmoil that awaits me of having to fight my flesh and put my sin to death. And sometimes that's just not comfortable. I'd rather not have to deal with it. But in my world, ministry jealousy, it's a, really th- it's a really significant thing for a lot of people. And it can haunt you and torment you. It's never said out loud. I mean, those things I just said, those are horrible things. It's all internal. You never say those out loud. But it's all the internal, right? Well, today we're going to see a, a cautionary tale. It's very similar to what I just articulated about the life of Saul as it relates to David. And it all revolves around jealousy. And here's the main idea that I want you to walk out of here with today. Jealousy, seeing something that someone else has that you want, leads to chaos in our hearts. But trusting God's good promises for what we need leads to peace. Let me say that again. Jealousy, seeing something that someone has that you want, Leads to chaos in our hearts, but trusting God's good promises or what we need leads to peace. So let's look at First Samuel 18, starting in verse six, and, and see how this plays out. <clears throat> so just for context sake, it's really important to know context. The prophet Samuel came, and he anointed David as king. That was a few sermons ago. James Garcia did a great job preaching that message. And then shortly thereafter, David does the amazing, famous story of David and Goliath, and he defeats the giant, right? And so we continue to see evidence that even though David's been anointed as king, he's not yet formally the king, but we see evidence that God is all over his life. See Goliath dead and defeated. Okay. And we pick off we pick up there in verse 6 of chapter 18. As they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine Goliath, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women Saying to one another and celebrated. And they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So it's like when the Bucks won the NBA championship a few years ago. What happened? Victory parade. Right? Victory parade. And that's kind of what's happening here. God's people come back from a, a victory, and it's a victory parade. Celebration. It's a party, singing, dancing. Right? But look at the content of the song that they're singing. And the women sang to one another. Look at verse 7. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So put yourself in, in, in Saul's shoes here for a second. Just think about the workplace. Let's say you've been working your job for about 5 years. You're trying to establish your career. And you work hard, you're faithful, you get that faithful, you know, 2% raise, keeping up with the whatever inflation is happening. You know, it's fair. 5 years good labor. You'd like to move up in the company. Hasn't really happened yet. Hoping that day comes sooner than later. And one of your friends gets hired. Same job, same position, same everything. And only five months later, huge promotion. Huge pay increase. And now your friend You've been there five years, your friend's been there five months, and now your friend is your boss. What do you think the temptations of your heart are going to be in that moment? Maybe some jealousy, right? That's what Saul's thinking. He's like, I'm the king. Like, why are they so enamored with David? Like, he's just a little twerp. Jealousy, seeing something that someone has that you want, leads to chaos in our hearts. But trusting God's good promises for what we need leads to peace. So look at the reaction. So much we can learn from Saul's emotions in this chapter. Verse 8. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, They've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Just like oh, pity party. Like man, what about me? Man, man, man. Right? It's like fourth grade behavior here. Look at verse nine. And Saul eyed David from that day on. Does that sound like peace and Saul's heart? It sounds like chaos. Anger. So but, but ultimately it's jealousy that, that, that's, that's the foundation here, right? It just jumps off the page. There's something that Saul wants that he's not getting. What is it? Well, look at the content of his of his words in verse 8. It's it's the pity party words. David got the gold medal. I only got the silver. Eh. Right? Well, but think about what, what, what is a pity party? Like we all can do that. I can do that. You can do that. But what's the heart of a pity party? Is it, is it God and his glory? No, it's me. It's me. It's all about me. Saul isn't sitting here going, Man, look at, look at the amazing work of God that he's doing and obviously doing in the life of David. See Goliath struck down. It's not what Saul says. It's like, God, he says to him, God, how come you're not doing these things in me? What about me? This is ultimately where jealousy comes from. Not trusting that what God is doing in your life is ultimately for your good. Jealousy is ultimately God-focused in this sense. God, you're doing it wrong. I should have what they have. How come I don't? God, what what the heck? Why, Why are you holding out on me? And, and then jealousy often leads to feeling threatened, right? Look at the end of verse 8. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul feels threatened, doesn't he? And feeling threatened leads to what? Defensiveness. The kingdom's going to be d- taken from me. So what am I going to do? I got to defend it. He feels like he has something to defend David has the admiration and the love of the people that, that Saul wants. And so Saul's thinking, oh, I've got to defend what, what, I, what little I already have. He's thinking, I have to defend my kingdom. But, but, but well, you want to stop and ask Saul and go, Saul, ho- hold on for a second. Like, is it your kingdom ultimately? <clears throat> So have you ever felt this way? It's a great question to ask ourselves. Like when you sense jealousy creeping up in your heart. Like in that moment, just ask yourself, whose kingdom am I trying to defend? Whose kingdom am I enamored with? Whose kingdom is my focus? Is it God's kingdom? Or is it my kingdom? See, is is the Christian life all about us creating our little kingdoms, the kingdom of self? Or is it being totally sold out to God's massive kingdom? So much so that I don't even think about my teeny tiny kingdom. My kingdom is just tiny. You can't even see it. It's tiny. Nothing. But so often in our lives, it goes down like this we see that God is doing something in someone else's life. It's the gifts that they have, maybe certain things that they have. And sometimes people notice it and they praise them and they're getting the attention. They're getting the praise. They're getting the compliments. And and we think to ourselves, of course we never say it out loud, internally, they don't deserve that. That should be me, actually. Like, how come God doesn't work in my life and give me the gifts that they have? How come they get all the attention? How come I don't get any of the attention? Where, where's my place? I, I want to have a place. If, if they get all the attention, there'll be none left for me. Or maybe they have something, a possession, something tangible that you don't have. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's money, maybe it's a, a spouse, maybe it's, you know, the list goes on and on. They have something that you want, and you want it bad, but you don't have it yet. And the question comes, is God holding out on me? Does, does God really know what's good for me? Because I feel like I really know what's good for me. It seems like God and I, we're, we're not on the same page here. Like, if he won't provide it, maybe I'll just do whatever I can to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to get it myself. I'm going to control the situation. And in this scenario, I see it in my own heart, I see it in our hearts. Usually, anger is right around the corner. And that's what we see in Saul. Look at verse 8 again. Right at the beginning, and Saul was very angry. See how closely related anger and jealousy are? And ultimately, it's anger at God. God, you're not providing for me correctly. God, why don't you give me what they have? That's what Saul's heart is right here. So, so Saul, remember, Saul, just like John r- reminded us so well this morning in our confession, Saul rejected God, he disobeyed God, and so God rejected him as king. And so what does Saul do? He's like, I'm going to take matters in my own hands then. Yeah, I'm going to try to control the situation. God, he did not trust the plan of God working in someone else's life. And and these are the consequences. From here on out, we're gonna see that it's chaos. It's just chaos in Saul's life. It's jealousy that leads to anger, that leads to attempted murder, that then leads to much manipulation and just massive chaos in relationships. And and jealousy always leads to chaos, externally or at minimum internally. Jealousy, seeing something that someone has that you want leads to chaos in our hearts, but trusting God's good promises for what we need leads to peace. So ask yourself right now, are there things in my life that I want that I'm not getting? Are there things in my life that I want really bad that I don't currently have right now? When I look at others and what God may be doing in others' lives, can I sense maybe some jealousy creeping in there? Has that led to maybe some anger? Maybe it's not outward, but it's starting to simmer in there internally. As I read my Bible this week and thinking about this, and as I look at my own life this week, Man, I just, I see these simple heart questions that I just asked can unearth so much that if dealt with biblically and with faith in God's promises, man, can lead to blessing. Like such deep freedom, peace, and blessing. But if ignored, usually leads to the way of Saul that we see here. And it's long-term, it's going to be chaos and, and suffering So, before we get to the good news, I just want us to walk through this, the story of this chapter. And, and we're going to see jealousy work itself out. And so, because it's a long chapter, like I did with David and Goliath, I'm going to summarize a lot. and just, I'm just going to tell you the story of this chapter. Okay? Everybody loves a good story. So, starting in verse 10 and 11, Saul is seething with jealousy. And that leads to anger, and anger manifests itself one day when Saul is raging— He's raging about this situation, and, and he sees David playing some music. David is a musician, and he's got a spear in his hand, and he just throws it at him. He misses. Just straight up attempted murder. And the Bible says he does this twice. And twice David evades him. Doesn't say how, just that attempted murder twice with his own hand doesn't succeed. So Saul decides if the, this full— um, Direct tactic won't work. I gotta use a, a, a tactic that's less direct and a lot more manipulative. And that's what we see next in verses 12 through 16. So Saul decides to make David a commander of a thousand troops. Basically, we're gonna thrust him into the military life continually. And uh, hopefully David goes to battle and gets killed that way. But the opposite happens. The Bible tells us that David just has success over and over, over and over, success in battle. And look at how this affects Saul. Look at the emotions of Saul. Look at verse 12. So verse eight, it was anger. And now what is it in verse 12? Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with him not that wild that he saw that the Lord was with him, and it wasn't like, Wow, God, look at how you're doing something beautiful in someone else's life. No, it's just straight up jealousy leading to fear. And he departed from Saul. Look at verse 15. It says it again, repetition for the sake of emphasis. And when Saul saw that he had great success, David, he stood in fearful awe of him. So I'm not getting what I want. For for Saul, it leads to what? First, it was anger, and now it's fear. Very closely related. But but why fear? Why is Saul afraid? Let's think about. Let's let's be thoughtful. Let's think theologically about emotions. Why is Saul afraid? Why would we be maybe afraid if we were in Saul's shoes? Well, because Saul's afraid that he's not going to ever get what he wants. Because he doesn't trust God. And if you don't trust God, then you have to control the situation yourself. And Saul is starting to see through what God is doing in David that he's not doing a very good job of controlling the situation. Saul's like, I'm I'm not doing a good job controlling the situation. I'm not doing a good job of getting what I want. So, So I wonder... If we trusted God more for what we think we need, would our fear and our anger decrease? Verses 17 through 19. Well, Saul's persistent. And he's not going to give up on the manipulative military tactic. So what he does is he offers one of his daughters, Merba. But the bride price for David to have his daughter is going to be to continue to lead the charge against God's enemy, the Philistines. But David, he resists this offer. And Meribah's given to someone else in marriage. Well, Saul, he, again, he gets points for persistence. He doesn't give up. He tries the tactic again. So Saul offers his other daughter, another daughter, her name is Michael, to David. But David says to Saul, man, I don't have any money for a bride price. I'm a nobody. How can I be the son-in-law to the king? This is what he says in verses 20 through 28. And Saul says, that's okay. All I want you to do is go kill about 100 Philistines. That's the bride price. So David goes out goes above and beyond. He kills 200 Philistines. Says yes to the offer. Does what Saul asked above and beyond. And Saul keeps his word. And he gives Michael, his daughter, to David. And that's essentially the story of the chapter. But this is how it wraps up. Look at verse 28. This is kind of the, the moral of the story. <laughs> the consequence of the story, I guess you could say. The point of the story, verse 28. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, here it is again. Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually, So what's what's the cautionary tale here? If you were reading this for the first time as an ancient Israelite, what do you think would, would jump off the page? Jealousy, seeing something that someone has that you want, leads to chaos in our hearts. Look at what it says. Talk about chaos in our hearts. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Like, that's chaos in relationships. That sounds like a nightmare. Like Saul's just scheming and manipulating and tactics. You can see him just like seething and, 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 and meditating. Like that's, that's a prison. That's a prison. But trusting God's good promises for what we need leads to peace. I mean look at the repetition of the text. I've already... I've already named it, but I just want you to see it again, just to underscore. The amount of times it says that the Lord was with David. Look at verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Verse 14. And David had success in all his undertakings. Why? For the Lord was with him. Verse 28. But when he saw but when Saul saw. And knew that the Lord was with David three times in the chapter. God is with David. And three times it shows us, like I've already named, in verse 8, verse 12, verse 15, verse 29. Saul's response is fear or anger at what God is doing in his anointed one. I mean, it's 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 a dark tale. It's a sad tale. really sad to see Saul go this way in reference to David. Saul refused to submit to what God was doing in David's life. Clearly, what God is doing, it says it, jumps off the page, and it resulted in just misery for him. That's the dark story of chapter 18. Well, I think it's important for us to see this theme of the consequences of jealousy, it continues in the New Testament it with some really strong language. This is James chapter 3. You don't need to turn there. It'll be on the screen. Look at what James says about, about jealousy. Who is wise and understanding among you? What what does wisdom and understanding look like? would be another way to, what James is saying here. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But here it is. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Now, check out these descriptors. Earthly, what is it? It's earthly, it's unspiritual, and this is a heavy hitter demonic. Jealousy is the domain of demons. That's strong language. There's a lot of what the Bible says about the way of sin in the Bible. There's not a lot of sins that get labeled demonic in the Bible. Jealousy is one of them. Isn't that fascinating? Look at 16. And this is just fleshed out in Saul's life, right? Verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, that's Saul, what will happen? There will be disorder, chaos, and every vile practice. Now, we we have our, our classic Christian sins, Right? Like when I was a kid and when I was becoming a Christian in high school, I remember like basically I thought, you know, for me to be a quote, good Christian, there's probably a lot of legalism in there, but like just don't have premarital sex and don't get drunk. And basically that's it. I mean, I, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but as I look back, that was like the code of being a good Christian when I was in high school. Now, of course— of course, God has a perfect plan for sexuality, and when we deviate from that, it's a big deal, right? And, and drunkenness is just foolishness, and the Bible says a lot about drunkenness. I just read it today in the Proverbs in my Bible reading plan. So it's not to say that those things are, are not things that we need to address and fight the fight of faith against those things, but We have, like, respectable sins in Christianity. And I think jealousy is one of those. But the Bible here says, and Saul's life shows us, it's not respectable. It's toxic. It's demonic. Like, shouldn't jealousy be on the list of, like, warning, warning, this is super dangerous? Like, don't go this way. It's super dangerous. Some of you might be thinking right now, okay, I'm convinced. See what the Bible says about jealousy. I see the cautionary tale. It's dark from Saul's life in relation to David. I, I, I believe what it says here in James chapter three. But pastor, help me figure out how to go to war against this sin. And and that's the good news this morning. That's the blessing of the promise of God this morning. Can you help me out, figure out how to battle this sin of jealousy? Yes. I want you to listen to the most, I think, one of the most glorious promises of God in all the Bible that I, I think you should all memorize. Like this promise of God is our comfort. It's our treasure. Romans 8, 32 on the screen. Look at the logic of this verse and how this could revolutionize your life. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Logical conclusion what happens then? Well, a great rhetorical question. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See the logic? God already did the hard thing of sending his son to provide for our deepest, darkest need. How will he not also graciously give you all things? Like we don't have to be jealous for what we don't have because God promises to give us, what does it say? All things. Now the the, the key here is all things as God defines it right? So jump back to Saul. Saul didn't trust God. He didn't, he didn't believe this verse. He took matters into his own hands. He didn't fight for a heart that was soft towards God in his ways. But, but Christian, here in the room today, you have the promise of God right here to hold on to. Like if God the Father did the hard thing of sending himself in Jesus to save you, to lay down his life for you, rise from the dead for you, because, why? Because he loves you. Then you can know that he's not holding out on you. The cross and the empty tomb scream, he loves you. God demonstrates, puts it on display, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, while we were entrenched in jealousy, Christ died for us. Like, just because we don't have what we want right now, we can't ever say that God doesn't love us. He has provided for our greatest need. But what, here's the question, but what about that thing that I want so badly that I don't have right now? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Maybe, just maybe, I don't know this for sure, but maybe that thing that we want right now, so bad that we don't have, isn't part of the all things as God defines it. God knows what we need. God knows why we need it. We can't know for sure why we don't have all the things that we want. God God does know. Someday you will know in the new heavens and the new earth when all things are made right. There is coming a day when all things will be made right. The longings of your heart will be made right. But in the midst of our longing for what we don't have, we can know for sure that God is still good and that God still loves us and he's not out to get us, even if we don't understand. We can look back to our history and understand that that he is for us. The cross and the empty tomb show us he is for us. We may not understand all the mysteries of his will, and we never will. But rest today, Christian, knowing that God is for you, not against you. He has addressed our true and deepest need, forgiveness of sin, a heavenly father who called you his child, a meaning and purpose in life centered not on joyless selfishness, but on joyful selflessness as the triune God of the universe is our main center of attention. So we crucify jealousy with the promises of God. God has provided. He will provide according to his wisdom and his love for us. Lord, I pray you would help us in this. Jealousy, seeing something that you want, seeing something that someone has that you want leads to chaos in our hearts. But trusting God's good promises for what we need leads to peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us to trust your promises by faith? We are are all um, cautioned today by your word and we thank you for that. You've said that your word is, is useful for teaching, for training, for rebuking in righteousness. Um, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth of the gospel that, that is the foundation of our trust in you. May our trust in you just continue to increase. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's see if we have any questions here today. How can we remind ourselves of the difference between jealousy of God versus jealousy of our own heart? I'm not totally sure what that means, but I'll take a stab at it. I think what this means is, um, like, God says he's a jealous God. He, he, is, he, is, he has desires for certain things that he's very passionate about. There's a difference between God's jealousy and our jealousy because God doesn't sin. His jealousy, meaning his passionate desire for something to come to pass, his passionate desire to have something, like he says in the Old Testament that he's jealous for his people. He has a strong desire to create a people for his own glory that will be a shining city on a hill to the world, to display to the world what it looks like to have a kingdom where God, Yahweh, rules and reigns, and the beauty of that. He, he's, he's deeply desires for that. Um, but our jealousy is problematic because there's so many things that we want that we shouldn't have. There's things that we want that, that might not be good for us. There's things that we want that we think would be really good for us, but God in all of his wisdom knows that either it's, it's, it's not a no, but it's, not a, it's a not yet, and we don't understand. And all of that just stirs up these emotions that we've talked about this morning. And so um, I think that's the essence of the difference between jealousy of God and jealousy of our own heart. Now, there's also a way to be jealous for in in the sense of desiring strongly God's glory, God's goodness being seen in our world today. So you could say, I'm jealous for the glory of God, right? And in that sense, that would be a good thing. Um, Or I could say, I have a holy jealousy for my wife. Now, that could be holy, or that could be sinful. Like, if I was a jealous husband, that could mean that I'm paranoid, I don't trust her, or it could just mean that I am, uh, I'm just passionate about my wife, and and that we are one flesh, and no one's going to ever get in the way of that. But the danger always is that sin can lurk in my heart, and that's what we just have to be always aware of and always on guard of. Um, submitting ourselves to God um, is is whatever jealousy that might be a good type of jealousy. Am I glorifying God with that, or is it really about me, right? So it's just those hard questions that make the difference. And I think that's the best I can say about that. That's a great question. Thank you.